Chapter Two of Leave It to Smith. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Leave It to Smith by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter Two. Enter Smith. Number One. At about the hour when Lord Emsworth's train, whirling him and his son Freddy to London, had reached the halfway point in its journey, a very tall, very thin, very solemn young man, gleaming in a speckless top hat and a morning coat of irreproachable fit, mounted the steps of number 18, Wallingford Street, West Kensington, and rang the front door bell. This done, he removed the hat, and having touched his forehead lightly with a silk handkerchief, for the afternoon sun was warm, gazed about him with a grave distaste. Scaly neighborhood, he murmured. The young man's judgment was one at which few people with an eye for beauty would have cavilled when the great revolution against London's ugliness really starts and yelling hordes of artists and architects, maddened beyond endurance, finally take the law into their own hands and rage through the city burning and destroying wallingford street west kensington will surely not escape the torch long since it must have been marked down for destruction for though it possesses certain merits of a low practical kind being inexpensive in the matter of rents and handy for the buses and the underground it is a peculiarly beastly little street situated in the middle of one of those districts where london breaks out into a sort of eczema of red brick it consists of two parallel rows of semi-detached villas all exactly alike each guarded by a ragged evergreen hedge each with colored glass of an extremely regrettable nature let into the panels of the front door and sensitive young impressionists from the artist colony of holland parkway may sometimes be seen stumbling through it with hands over their eyes muttering between clenched teeth how long how long a small maid-of-all-work appeared in answer to the bell and stood transfixed as the visitor producing a monocle placed it in his right eye and inspected her through it a warm afternoon he said cordially yes sir but pleasant urged the young man tell me is mrs jackson at home no sir not at home no sir the young man sighed ah well he said we must always remember that these disappointments are sent to us for some good purpose no doubt they make us more spiritual will you inform her that i called the name is smith p smith p smith sir no no p s m i t h i should explain to you that i started life without the initial letter my father always clung ruggedly to the plain smith but it seemed to me that there were so many smiths in the world that a little variety may well be introduced smythe i took on as a cowardly evasion nor do i approve of the too prevalent custom of tacking another name on in front by means of a hyphen so i decided to adopt the p smith the p i should add for your guidance is silent as in thesis psychic and ptarmigan you follow me y yes sir you don't think he said anxiously that i did wrong in pursuing this course no no sir splendid said the young man flicking a speck of dust from his coat sleeve splendid 
splendid and with a courteous bow he descended the steps and made his way down the street the little maid having followed him with bulging eyes till he was out of sight closed the door and returned to her kitchen smith strolled meditatively on the genial warmth of the afternoon soothed him he hummed lightly only stopping when as he reached the end of the street a young man of his own age rounding the corner rapidly almost ran into him sorry said the young man hello smith smith gazed upon him with benevolent affection comrade jackson he said this is well met the one man of all others whom i would have wished to encounter we will pop off somewhere comrade jackson should your engagements permit and restore our tissues with a cup of tea i had hoped to touch the jackson family for some slight refreshment but i was informed that your wife was out mike jackson laughed phyllis isn't out she not out then said smith pained there has been dirty work done this day for i was turned from your door it would not be exaggerating to say that i was given the bird is this the boasted jackson hospitality phyllis is giving a tea to some of her old school pals explained mike she told the maid to say she wasn't at home to anybody else i'm not allowed in myself enough comrade jackson said smith agreeably say no more if you yourself have been booted out in spite of all the loving honouring and obeying your wife promised at the altar who am i to complain impossibly one can console oneself by reflecting we are well out of it these gatherings of old girls school chums are not the sort of function your man of affairs wants to get lugged into capital company as we are comrade jackson we should doubtless have been extremely in the way i suppose the conversation would have dealt exclusively with reminiscences of the dear old school of tales of surreptitious cocoa drinking in the dormitories and what the deportment mistress said when angela was found chewing tobacco in the shrubbery yes i fancy we have not missed a lot by the way i don't think much of the new home true i only saw it from the outside but no i don't think much of it best we can afford and who said smith am i to taunt my boyhood friend with his honest poverty especially as i myself am standing on the very brink of destitution you i in person that low moaning sound you hear is the wolf bivouacked outside my door but i thought your uncle gave you a rather good salary so he did but my uncle and i are about to part company from now on he so to speak will take the high road and i'll take the low road i dine with him to-night and over the nuts and wine i shall hand him the bad news that i propose to resign my position in the firm i have no doubt that he supposed he was doing me a good turn by starting me in his fish business but even what little experience i have had of it has convinced me that it is not my proper sphere the whisper flies round the clubs smith has not found his niche i am not said smith an unreasonable man i realize that humanity must be supplied with fish i am not averse from a bit of fish myself but to be professionally connected with a firm that handles the material in the raw is not my idea of a large life work remind me to tell you sometime what it feels like to sling yourself out of bed at four a m and go down to toil and billingsgate market no there is money in fish my uncle has made a pot of it but what i feel is that there must be other walks in life for a bright young man 
I chuck it tonight. What are you going to do, then? That, Comrade Jackson, is more or less on the knees of the gods. Tomorrow morning, I think I'll stroll round to an employment agency and see how the market for bright young men stands. Do you know a good one? Phyllis always goes to Miss Clarkson's in Shaftesbury Avenue, but Miss Clarkson's in Shaftesbury Avenue. I will make a note of it. Meanwhile, I wonder if you saw the Morning Globe today. No, why? I had an advertisement in it in which I, exp I expressed myself as willing, indeed eager, to tackle any undertaking that had nothing to do with fish. I am confidently expecting shoals of replies. I look forward to winnowing the heap and selecting the most desirable. Pretty hard to get a job these days, said Mike doubtfully. Not if you have something superlatively good to offer. What have you got to offer? My services, said Smith, with faint reproach. What as? As anything, I made no restrictions. Would you care to take a look at my manifesto? I have a copy in my pocket. Smith produced from inside his immaculate waistcoat a folded clipping. I should welcome your opinion of it, Comrade Jackson. I have frequently said that for sturdy common sense you stand alone. Your judgment should be invaluable. The advertisement, which some hours earlier had so electrified the Honorable Freddy Threepwood in the smoking room at Blanny's Castle, seemed to affect Mike, whose mind was of the stolid and serious type, somewhat differently. He finished his perusal and stared speechlessly. Neat, don't you think, said Smith, covers the ground adequately? I think so, I think so. Do you mean to say you're going to put drivel like that in the paper? asked Mike. I have put it in the paper, as I told you, it appeared this morning. By this time tomorrow I shall no doubt have finished sorting out the first batch of replies. Mike's emotion took him back to the phraseology of school days. You are an ass. Smith restored the clipping to his waistcoat pocket. You wound me, Comrade Jackson, he said. I'd expected a broader outlook from you. In fact, I rather suppose that you would have rushed round instantly to the offices of the journal and shoved in a similar advertisement yourself. But nothing you can say can damp my buoyant spirit. The cry goes round Kensington and District. Smith is off. In what direction? The cry admits to state, but that information the future will supply. And now, Comrade Jackson, let us trickle into yonder tea shop and drink success to the venture in a cup of the steaming. I had a particularly hard morning today among the white bait, and I need refreshment. Number two. After Smith had withdrawn his spectacular person from it, there was an interval of perhaps twenty minutes before anything else occurred to brighten the drabness of Wallingford Street. The lethargy of afternoon held the thoroughfare in its grip. Occasionally a tradesman cart would rattle around the corner, and from time to time cats appeared stalking purposefully among the evergreens. But at ten minutes to five, a girl ran up the steps of number 18 and rang the bell. She was a girl of medium height, very straight and slim, and her fair hair, her cheerful smile, and the boyish suppleness of her body all contributed to a general effect of valiant gaiety, a sort of golden sunniness, accentuated by the fact that, like all girls who looked to Paris for inspiration in their dress that season, she was wearing black. The small maid appeared again. Is Mrs. Jackson at home, said the girl. I think she's expecting me. Miss Halliday. 
yes miss a door at the end of the narrow hall had opened is that you eve hello phil darling phyllis jackson fluttered down the passage like a rose-leaf on the wind and hurled herself into eve's arms she was small and fragile with great brown eyes under a cloud of dark hair she had a wistful look and most people who knew her wanted to pet her eve had always petted her from their first days at school together am i late or early asked eve you're the first but we won't wait jane will you bring tea into the drawing-room yes am and remember i don't want to see anyone for the rest of the afternoon if anybody calls tell them i'm not at home except mrs clarkson and mrs mctodd of course yes am who is mrs mctodd inquired eve is that cynthia yes don't you know she had married ralston mctodd the canadian poet you knew she went out to canada i knew that yes but i hadn't heard that she was married funny how out of touch one gets with girls who were one's best friends at school do you realize it's nearly two years since i saw you i know isn't it awful i got your address from elsa wentworth two or three days ago and then clarky told me that cynthia was over here on a visit with her husband so i thought how jolly it would be to have a regular reunion we three were such friends in the old days you remember clarky of course miss clarkson who used to be an english mistress at wayland house yes of course where did you run into her oh i see a lot of her she runs a domestic employment agency in shaftesbury avenue now and i have to go there about once a fortnight to get a new maid she supplied jane is cynthia's husband coming with her this afternoon no i wanted it to be simply us four do you know him but of course you don't this is his first visit to england i know his poetry he's quite a celebrity cynthia's lucky they had made their way into the drawing-room full of all those anti-mascars wax flowers and china dogs inseparable from the cheaper type of london furnished house eve though the exterior of number eighteen should have prepared her for all this was unable to check a slight shudder as she caught the eye of the least prepossessing of the dogs googling at her from the mantelpiece don't look at them recommended phyllis following her gaze i try not to we've only just moved in here so i haven't had time to make the place nice here's tea all right jane put it down there tea eve eve sat down she was puzzled and curious she threw her mind back to the days at school and remembered the phyllis of that epoch as almost indecently opulent a millionaire stepfather there had been then she recollected what had become of him now that he should allow phyllis to stay in surroundings like this eve scented a mystery and in her customary straightforward way went to the heart of it tell me all about yourself she said having achieved as much comfort as the peculiar structure of her chair would permit and remember that i haven't seen you for two years so don't leave anything out it's so difficult to know where to start well you signed your letter phyllis jackson start with the mysterious jackson where does he come in the last i heard about you was an announcement in the morning post that you were engaged to i've forgotten the name but i'm certain it wasn't jackson rollo mountford was it well what has become of rollo you seem to have mislaid him did you break off the engagement well it sort of broke itself off i mean you see i went and married mike eloped with him do you mean yes good heavens i'm awfully ashamed about that eve i suppose i treated rollo awfully badly 
never mind a man with a name like that was made for suffering i never cared for him he had horrid swimmy eyes i understand so you eloped with your mike tell me about him who is he what does he do well at present he's master at a school but he doesn't like it he wants to get back to the country again when i met him he was agent on a place in the country belonging to some people named smith mike had been at school in cambridge with the son they were very rich then and had a big estate it was the next place to the edgelows i had gone to stay with mary edgelow i don't know if you remember her at school i met mike first at a dance and then i met him out riding and then well after that we used to meet every day and we fell in love right from the start and we went and got married oh eve i wish you could have seen our darling little house it was all over ivy and roses and we had horses and dogs and phyllis's narrative broke off with a gulp eve looked at her sympathetically all her life she herself had been joyously impecunious but it never seemed to matter she was strong and adventurous and reveled in the perpetual excitement of trying to make both ends meet but phyllis was one of those sweet porcelain girls whom the roughnesses of life bruise instead of stimulating she needed comfort and pleasant surroundings eve looked morosely at the china dog which leered back at her with an insufferable good fellowship we had hardly got married resumed phyllis blinking when poor mr smith died and the whole place was broken up he must have been speculating or something i suppose because he hardly left any money and the state had to be sold and the people who bought it they were coal people from wolverhampton had a nephew for whom they wanted the agent job so mike had to go so here we are eve put the question which she had been waiting to ask ever since she had entered the house but what about your stepfather surely when we were at school you had a rich stepfather in the background has he lost his money too no well why doesn't he help you then he would i know if he was left to himself but it's aunt constance what's aunt constance and who is aunt constance well i call her that but she's really my stepmother sort of i suppose she's really my step-stepmother my stepfather married again two years ago it was aunt constance who was so furious when i married mike she wanted me to marry rollo she has never forgiven me and she won't let my stepfather do anything to help us but the man must be a worm said eve indignantly why doesn't he insist you always used to tell me how fond he was of you he isn't a worm eve he's a dear it's just that he has let her boss him she's rather a terror you know she can be quite nice and they're awfully fond of each other but she is as hard as nails sometimes phyllis broke off the front door had opened and there were footsteps in the hall here's clarkie i hope she brought cynthia with her she was to pick her up on the way don't talk about what i've been telling you in front of her eve there's an angel why not she's so motherly about it it's sweet of her but eve understood all right later on the door opened to admit miss clarkson the adjective which phyllis had applied to her late schoolmistress was obviously well chosen miss clarkson exuded motherliness she was large wholesome and soft and she swooped on eve like a hen on its chicken almost before the door had closed eve how nice to see you after all this time my dear you're looking perfectly lovely and so prosperous what a beautiful hat 
i've been envying it ever since you came eve said phyllis where did you get it madeleine swore's in regent street miss clarkson having acquired and stirred a cup of tea started to improve the occasion eve had always been a favourite of hers at school she beamed affectionately upon her now doesn't this show what i always used to say to you in the dear old days eve that one must never despair however black the outlook may seem i remember you at school dear as poor as a church mouse and with no prospects none whatever and yet here you are rich eve laughed she got up and kissed miss clarkson she regretted that she was compelled to strike a jarring note but it had to be done i'm awfully sorry clarkie dear she said but i'm afraid i've misled you i'm just as broke as i ever was in fact when phyllis told me you were running an employment agency i made a note to come and see you and ask if you had some attractive billet to dispose of governess to a thoroughly angelic child would do or isn't there some nice cosy author or something who wants his letters answered and his press clippings pasted in an album oh my dear miss clarkson was deeply concerned i did hope that hat the hat's the whole trouble of course i had no business even to think of it but i saw it in the shop window and coveted it for days and finally fell and then you see i had to live up to it buy shoes and a dress to match i tell you it was a perfect orgy and i'm thoroughly ashamed of myself now too late as usual oh dear you are always such a wild impetuous child even at school i remember how often i used to speak to you about it well when it was all over and i was sane again i found i had only a few pounds left not nearly enough to see me through till the relief expedition arrived so i thought it over and decided to invest my little all i hope you chose something safe it ought to have been the sporting express called it today's safety bet it was bounding willie for the two-thirty race at sandon last wednesday oh dear that's what i said when poor old willie came in six but it's no good worrying is it what it means is that i simply must find something to do that will carry me through till i get my next quarter's allowance and that won't be till september but don't let's talk business here i'll come round to your office clarky tomorrow where's cynthia didn't you pick her up yes i thought you were going to pick cynthia up on your way clarky said phyllis if eve's information as to her financial affairs had caused miss clarkson to mourn the mention of cynthia plunged her into the very depths of woe her mouth quivered and a tear stole down her cheek eve and phyllis exchanged bewildered glances i say said eve after a moment's pause in a silence broken only by a smothered sob from their late instructress we aren't being very cheerful are we considering this is supposed to be a joyous reunion is is anything wrong with cynthia so poignant was miss clarkson's anguish that phyllis in a flutter of alarm rose and left left the room swiftly in search of the only remedy that suggested itself to her her smelling salts poor dear cynthia moaned miss clarkson why what's the matter with her asked eve she was not callous to miss clarkson's grief but she could not help the tiniest of smiles in a flash she had been transported to her school days when the other's habit of extracting the most tragedy out of the slimmest material had been a source of ever fresh amusement to her not for an instant did she expect to hear any worse news of her old friend than she was in bed with a cold or had twisted an ankle she's married you know said miss clarkson well i see no harm in that clarky if a few more safety bets go wrong i shall 
probably have to rush out and marry someone myself some nice rich indulgent man who will spoil me oh eve my dear pleaded miss clarkson bleating with alarm do please be careful whom you marry i never hear of one of my girls marrying without feeling that the worst may happen and that all unknowing she may be stepping over a grim precipice you don't tell them that do you because i should think it would rather cast a damper on the wedding festivities has cynthia gone stepping over grim precipices i was just saying to phyllis that i envied her marrying a celebrity like ralston mctodd miss clarkson gulped that man must be a fiend she said brokenly i've just left poor dear cynthia in floods of tears at the cadogan hotel she has a very nice quiet room on the fourth floor though the carpet does not harmonize with the wallpaper she was broken-hearted poor child i i did what i could to console her but it was useless she always was so high-strung i must be getting back to her very soon i only came on here because i did not want to disappoint you two dear girls why said eve with quiet intensity she knew from experience that miss clarkson unless firmly checked would pirouette round and round the point for minutes without ever touching it why echoed miss clarkson blinking as if the word was something solid that had struck her unexpectedly why was cynthia in floods of tears but i'm telling you my dear that man has left her left her they had a quarrel and he walked straight out of the hotel that was the day before yesterday and he has not been back since this afternoon the curtis note came from him to say that he never intended to return he had secretly and in a most underhand way arranged for his luggage to be removed from the hotel to a district messenger service and from there he has taken it no one knows where he has completely disappeared eve stared she had not been prepared for news of this momentous order but what did they quarrel about cynthia poor child was too overwrought to tell me eve clenched her teeth the beast poor old cynthia shall i come round with you no my dear better let me look after her alone i will tell her to write and let you know when she can see you i must be going phyllis dear she said as her hostess re-entered bearing a small bottle but you've only just come said phyllis surprised poor old cynthia's husband has left her explained eve briefly and clarkie's going back to look after her she's in a pretty bad way it seems oh no yes indeed and i really must be going at once said miss clarkson eve waited in the drawing-room till the front door banged and phyllis came back to her phyllis was more wistful than ever she had been looking forward to this tea-party and it had not been the happy occasion she had anticipated the two girls sat in silence for a moment what brutes some men are said eve at length mike said phyllis dreamily is an angel eve welcomed the unspoken invitation to return to a more agreeable topic she felt very deeply for the stricken cynthia but she hated aimless talk nothing could have been more aimless than for her and phyllis to sit there exchanging lamentations concerning a tragedy of which neither knew more than the bare outlines phyllis had her tragedy too and it was one where eve saw the possibility of doing something practical and helpful she was a girl of action and was glad to be able to attack a living issue yes let's go on talking about you and mike she said at present i can't understand the position at all when clarkie came in you were just telling me about your stepfather and why he wouldn't help you 
and i thought you made out a very poor case for him tell me some more i've forgotten his name by the way keeble oh well i think you ought to write and tell him how hard up you are he may be under the impression that you are still living in luxury and don't need any help after all he can't know unless you tell him and i should ask him straight out to come to the rescue it isn't as if it was your mike's fault that you're broke he married you on the strength of a very good position which looked like a permanency and lost it through no fault of his own i should write to him phil pitch it strong i have i wrote to-day mike's just been offered a wonderful opportunity a sort of farm place in lincolnshire you know cows and things just what he would like and just what he would do awfully well and we only need three thousand pounds to get it but i'm afraid nothing will come of it because of aunt constance you mean yes you must make something come of it eve's chin went up she looked like a goddess of determination if i were you i'd haunt the doorstep till they had to give you money to get rid of you the idea of anybody doing that absurd driving into the snow business in these days why shouldn't you marry the man you were in love with if i were you i'd go and chain myself to the railings and howl like a dog till they rushed out with checkbooks just to get some peace do they live in london they are down in shropshire at present at a place called blanding's castle eve started blanding's castle good gracious aunt constance is lord emworth's sister but this is the most extraordinary thing i'm going to blanding's myself in a few days no they've engaged me to catalogue the castle library but eve were you only joking when you asked clarkie to find you something to do she took you quite seriously no i wasn't joking there's a drawback to my going to blanding's i suppose you know the place pretty well i've often stayed there it's beautiful then you know lord emworth's second son freddie threepwood of course well he's the drawback he wants to marry me and i certainly don't want to marry him and what i've been wondering is whether a nice easy job like that which would tide me over beautifully till september is attractive enough to make up for the nuisance of having to be always squelching poor freddie i ought to have thought of it right at the beginning of course when he wrote and told me to apply for the position but i was so delighted at the idea of regular work that it didn't occur to me then i began to wonder he's such a persevering young man he proposes early and often where did you meet freddie at a theatre party about two months ago he was living in london then but he suddenly disappeared and i had a heartbroken letter from him saying that he had been running up debts and things and his father had snatched him away to live at blanding's which apparently is freddie's idea of the inferno the world seems full of hard-hearted relatives oh, lord emsworth isn't really hard-hearted you will love him he's so dreamy and absent-minded he potters about the garden all the time i don't think you'll like aunt constance much but i suppose you won't see her a great deal whom shall i see much of except freddie of course mr baxter lord emworth's secretary i expect i don't like him at all he's sort of a spectacled caveman he doesn't sound attractive but you say the place is nice it's gorgeous i should go if i were you eve well i intended not to but now you've told me about mr keeble and aunt constance i've changed my mind i'll have to look in at clarkie's office to-morrow and tell her i'm fixed up and shan't need her help i'm going to take your sad case in hand darling 
i shall go to blandings and i will dog your stepfather's footsteps well i must be going come and see me to the front door or i'll be losing my way in the miles of stately corridors i suppose i mayn't smash that china dog before i go oh well i just thought i'd ask out in the hall the little maid of all work bobbed up and intercepted them i forgot to tell you mum a gentleman called i told him you was out quite right jane said his name was smithton phyllis gave a cry of dismay oh no what a shame i particularly wanted you to meet him eve i wish i had known smith said eve the name seems familiar why were you so anxious for me to meet him he's mike's best friend mike worships him he's the son of the mr smith i was telling you about the one mike was at school in cambridge with he's a perfect darling eve and you would love him he's just your sort i do wish we had known and now you're going to blandings for goodness knows how long and you won't be able to see him what a pity said eve politely uninterested i'm so sorry for him why he's in the fish business ugh well he hates it poor dear but he was left stranded like all the rest of us after the crash and he was put into the business by an uncle who is a sort of fish magnate well why does he stay there if he dislikes it so much said eve with indignation the helpless type of man was her pet aversion i hate a man who's got no enterprise i don't think you could call him unenterprising he never struck me like that you simply must meet him when you come back to london all right said eve indifferently just as you like i might put business in his way i'm very fond of fish End of chapter two